You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Kelsey Gascon, and we're the owners of Gascon Horsemanship. Welcome to the Leadline Podcast, the show where we believe that running your own horse business should feel less like a chore and more like the life you've always dreamed of. Join us as we share valuable advice on how to become more focused, more organized, and more profitable in your horse business. And now, here's your host, Mandy Flanders. Michael and Kelsey Gascon are two equestrian entrepreneurs living in Poplarville, Mississippi. Michael is a fifth-generation, world-renowned horse trainer known for training the untrainable, riding the unrideable, and doing the impossible with horses all around the world. Michael's wife, Kelsey Gascon, is a professional trick rider who first met Michael when he attended one of her trick riding clinics a few years back. Together, they're an amazing power couple, and they're here to share how building multiple revenue streams around their primary service offerings is the key to achieving success in business. I also have to give a shout out to their great storytelling skills because they share some of the most entertaining stories we've had here yet on the show. So get ready to learn, to laugh, and enjoy the ride. Here are Michael and Kelsey Gascon. Hey, Michael and Kelsey, I'm excited to have you guys on the podcast. How are you both doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having us on. We're super excited to be on here today. Oh, well, thanks for being here. Today, we're going to talk about building multiple revenue streams in your horse business. But before we get started, I actually would love to hear a little bit about a trip that you guys both just recently got back from. You guys went to Africa. Is that right? That's right. It, it was the trip of a lifetime. Unbelievable. From start to finish, I, I can't even explain how amazing of an opportunity it was for us to be there. Oh, my goodness. Now, what were you guys doing in Africa? So I got a phone call from a nice lady. She had a, a British accent, sounded British to me, but turns out she was South African. And she gave me a call and she said, I hear you are pretty good at getting horses calm and quiet. I, I say, yes, ma'am. I've ridden a horse or two. And she said, do you think you can calm down for elephants and lions? And without missing a beat? Yes, of course. <laughs> Not that I've ever seen an elephant or a lion in the wild. Uh, but I believe we have what it took. So we got an opportunity to go over there and help a safari company who puts on safaris every week on horseback. We went to Colt start their new horses and fix some of their problem horses who were removed from their lineup of, of safari horses to prepare for the long rides of the week out there with all the animals. Oh my goodness. What an amazing opportunity. What a cool phone call to get to. That's super cool, guys. So how long were you in Africa? We were there for between the travel and being there. We were there for 16 days. And so it was a, a little decent flight for us to get over there. But the whole experience, we ended up doing like seven days of riding safari. We did three days of clinics. And it was just, like I said, unbelievable. I know that word gets used a lot. But every experience is just kind of what you would think of. If you could dream of the perfect experience horseback, that was that experience to a T. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm envious. I've never been there before, but it sounds like an amazing opportunity. And based on your social media posts, it sounds like you guys are going back again. We are. We are. We're not sure if that's going to be next year or 2024 yet, but we're definitely ready to make another trip back there. Oh, amazing. Well, I'd love to hear more about you know how you have built your business into getting phone calls to go to Africa. So let's dig into that conversation here today. And talk a little bit about, first and foremost, what you do at Gascon Horsemanship. 
So with this business, we kind of focus on, we do a little bit of everything, which we're going to talk about here shortly. But our primary focus is to help as many horses and as many people as possible, whether they come from a problem horse situation, they're having issues with gating, colt starting, anything in between. We're having a confidence coaching week as well. And just really focusing on kind of bridging that gap of communication between horses and people. And so with Michael's program that he's developed over time, he's really learned how to speak to horses in the way that they learn and the way that they communicate, which makes things a lot simpler for people to understand. And we really focus on making things easy to understand, easy to follow and simple steps. So that way, both the horse and the owner or the rider can find success with that. Okay, so let's take this back a little bit. Now, you guys are married, obviously. I would love to learn a little bit of your backstory. Maybe let's talk a little bit about how you guys met and then how you brought your business together. Okay, so I'm a fifth generation horse trainer. And as such, being raised on a farm, I try to do everything except become a horse trainer. So I had all these odds and ends jobs, deep sea diver, boxer, all these other things. Finally became decided to become a horse trainer. And I'm very studious and love to be the dumbest person in the room. So I love going to Spain and learn dressage, you know, when I know nothing about dressage or going hang out with ropers when I didn't have any idea how to rope. And my wife is a world-renowned trick rider. And I decided, you know what? It would be cool to add to my act if I knew how to trick ride a little bit. Let me Let me try that. So I knew somebody who knew her and she said, hey, I got the perfect person to teach you. Um, so I signed up a clinic and she was my professor. So basically, I tortured him for two days. He didn't call me for about three years with all of his bruises and blisters and all of that fun stuff. But we kind of kept in touch here or there. And I had just ended a month training and teaching trick riding in Australia. And as soon as I got back, I had a clinic just come down here to Mississippi and work with him and a couple of his academy students from our academy program. And I came down here to teach him and I never left. So that's kind of how everything ended up merging from that point forward. So we took all of my business skills and know-how and things that I have done within my business and merged that with everything that he had learned through his experience. Starting out, he really didn't get the start that he thought he would coming into a horse trainer lifestyle and coming from a horse training background. He had kind of a rough go from the beginning. I'll let him talk a little bit about that. That's kind of the, the key that got him the start to where we're at today. So you guys were, it sounds like you were pretty entrepreneurial independently of one another and then kind of came together through that, uh, through Michael's desire to learn trick riding. Am I getting that right? That, that's about right. Both of us had already traveled a good bit around the world before and kind of found a way for the horses to to take us around the world before we ever met. Uh, both of us had had traveled a lot, had put our businesses together. Um, and we were just kind of in the same place in, in our careers too, whenever we met. So everything just lined up and worked out. Awesome. <laughs> well, I, I think I hear the horses a little bit in the background. Is that what that sounds yeah, like? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> our, sorry, our office is literally in the barn. So if you hear anybody <laughs> whinny, they think they're getting fed again. That's too funny. Well, I wanted to mention that we're not we're not going to edit that out. We're going to leave the horses in <laughs> because they I mean, they're trying to be part of the show. So we can't blame them, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, we just got to the place in our marriage where, where we finally got ourselves a house. We lived the, the whole beginning of our, our marriage and our relationship. We lived in a barn. So just what you're hearing here is what we would hear every night. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, so let's start. Actually, let me pause one second. Michael, are you still trick riding since you went to learn from Kelsey? Is that Absolutely something that you kept up? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, he has been retired. He's, he's a retired trick rider. 
he got one performance and I was like, no, 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 this is, you can do way better things than be a trick rider. You're far more valuable than to go do stupid things on horses like I do. You need to stick with your career where you really excel because trick riding was not that. So what she's saying is <laughs> she must prefer me to ride wild and undesirable horses that try to kill you and murder you than to wear a onesie and flip upside down on the horse. <laughs> well, I have to say, my husband and I work together quite a bit. And one of the things that I've learned in working together as a married couple is that you have to stay in your lane. And it sounds like Kelsey said, Michael, stay in your lane. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it, it's okay. He got revenge because I ended up having a trick riding accident a couple months after we uh, had gotten together and I had moved down here. And I had to take some time off from trick riding. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take my shot at cold starting while I have some off time. So he very quickly got to get his payback for everything that I did to him. There was a lot of moments where he'd go to tell me don't do and then it was too late. So lessons learned <laughs> for sure. So talk to me a little bit about how you have built these businesses up together as a couple, as a team, and developed your multiple sources of revenue throughout each. Why don't you go ahead and explain a little bit of what those multiple revenue streams look like? Well, I think first and foremost, whenever you're starting a business and getting it profitable and going forward, you have to figure out what you're bringing to the marketplace and what problem you're going to solve. So for me, the first thing that I could do that I could create value was fixing problem horses. So that was first and foremost. Once I got that on track where people understood, hey, you know, th this kid will ride anything that you bring to him. And that didn't happen by design. It happened because in the beginning, I couldn't give away my horse training. So I would take all the undesirables and people would say, are you sure my last trainer told me to put this horse down or, or send it to the sale? No, no, no. Bring it. Bring it. As a matter of fact, I'll ride it for free for a month. And if you like what you see, you can pay me for the second month. Deals like that in the beginning when things were hard. And that's where it became kind of normal to ride problem horses and start horses. And then from there, once that got rolling, it branched off by showing other people. So training other people how to become trainers. That's a, a source of revenue. Well, then I had the idea, hey, let's get amateurs to come in and ride with us. At the time, we didn't have any place for them to stay whatsoever. So I kept thinking about it, thinking about it. And finally on the road, I passed by those little cabins, those little mini homes that they give you with a ridiculous interest rate. And here, no money down, take them. Well, what they don't tell you is that they'll rob you with the interest. But I was so hungry, didn't have any money at that time. So I said, hey, I'll take two of those. And once I got my first two cabins, people wanted to start coming to stay with me, amateurs to learn how to work their horses better, which turned into retreats, which is the main part of our business right now. So now you have horses that are coming in for training. Somebody's paying you to train that horse. And then the amateur comes in and watches it all. That's the moment that I knew that we were doing something right. I was sitting in the chair explaining to an amateur how the student is working their horse. And everybody, the horse, the student, and the amateur were all paying. And I said, okay, now we're getting somewhere. We're starting to get multiple streams of income. And that's really kind of how you branch out. But I think the key is knowing exactly what what brought you to the dance and what problem you're going to solve first and then being able to venture out from there. Yeah, that is so important. Sometimes people get stuck in that mode of figuring out what it is that they do and then they try to do everything. And I think that sometimes they think that they're trying to build multiple sources of revenue, but 
you really do need to focus on what is that main problem that you solve first before you try to umbrella out into all of those different areas. Would you agree? I think that's definitely the case. My father's uh, straight off the banana boat Cuban, like as Cuban as it can come. And I remember as a, a young boy, he said, Chico, I don't care what you're doing in this life. You can be a street sweeper. As long as you're the best street sweeper in the world, I'll be happy. That's so simple from what he said, but it stuck with me. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you work on your craft and perfect your craft and, and get to the top 10% in your field, everything else kind of falls into place. But like you said, I think a lot of folks, they're a wandering generality instead of a meaningful specific. And I think when you get very specific on what it is that you want to help the world with or what, what problem you want to fix, and since you're so specific and all your time is spent in one area, you get proficient at it and then you master your craft, everything else that branches off of it, it's almost like very natural to get multiple sources of income once you have a mastery in something. Absolutely. And all of those different branches really come back to the same root, the same source, the same hub. So when you look at the big picture, it's really just one big tree and you've got all these different branches that are branching off into those multiple sources of revenue. So how do you guys stay organized now that you're doing so many different things between the training, the clinics? I mean, we talked about Africa, so obviously you're traveling a lot. But you also have a membership site. And I'm sure there's more things mixed in there that I haven't even listed off. But how do you keep all of those multiple sources of revenue organized? Well, as you understand, because you're also an entrepreneur in the equine world, you kind of have to wear all of the hats when you're starting out. So that can be a little bit overwhelming. And one of the biggest tips that I've probably... And I'm still not the greatest. I still have to work at this every day. I'm constantly working on new ways to do this. But you have to start getting comfortable doing a little bit of outsourcing and a little bit of delegation. Because there's so many things that from an organization perspective, to have to manage all these different things. So basically, we have everything spelt out on our website. And one of the biggest things that I found that has been helpful is to make frequently asked questions to really make sure that your website and all of your promo material can give as much information as possible without you having to have the two hour conversation to do that. So making promo videos, making those frequently asked questions, making sure that your descriptions and things on all of your sites and sources and platforms that you use that all aligns with what your goal is and answering those questions to help make it to where when people do contact you, that you're going to have a meaningful conversation with them and you're going to be able to go through and answer the additional questions that they have and really make sure that they feel comfortable, whether that's coming for a retreat, sending their horse for training, coming to a clinic. I just spoke with somebody this morning about them sending their daughter to our academy program. So it gives you a chance to really focus your time and energy on people and your ideal customer avatar, which you talk a lot about in the business world, to make sure that those people you're having those conversations with are actually going to be the ones that support you and follow your program. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've done a really good job of streamlining everything that you guys have put together so far. Thank you very much. What are some examples of the things that you guys have learned to outsource or delegate in your business? So many things. So right now, I probably have 16 people that are subcontract slash independent contractors that work for us. And in the beginning, Michael did everything. Before I came here, he was your poster on social media. He was the content creator. He was working on all of his viral videos, which is what got his initial start into really finding some momentum with his business. 
And so that was all just Michael in the beginning. So now I outsource. I'm getting ready to have a new virtual assistant, which is super cool to be able to take all of the day in and day out stuff that I do that's not necessarily mindless, but is repetitive. And it's repeatable to give to somebody to do. Uh, My best friend works with me. My trick riding partner, Shelby Epperson, she works in the office with me and helps me run the emails, coordinate the retreats, coordinate the clinics, the horse training. She's kind of my jump in, do anything, do everything person to help me. She runs all of our merchandise and tax sales and does all of the coordinating with that and the shipping. I've got some different independent contractors that do a little graphic design. Uh, We already talked about social media marketing. I have a lady that comes in and does that some videos. We have an amazing photographer. And that's one of the big keys too in any kind of business, whether it's horse business or not. There's so much that can be said by amazing photos and amazing videos. And whether you're going to use those videos in a membership program or a course down the road, it doesn't matter. But as popular as things like TikTok and Reels and everything that's out there video-wise, that's going to be the key to this next generation of marketing is being on top of that. Well, it sounds like you have really built your your team up, even though they're contractors. That's something I want to touch on actually really quick is that some folks think that they need to hire employees in their business. And yes, in many cases, that could be the, the case. But contractors can be a great way to help streamline running your business. And it sounds like most of the people you have are contractors. Absolutely. The only one that's a, a full-time employee is my best friend, Shelby. And that's so we can make sure we have the insurance and all those things that you have to figure out when you become an entrepreneur and be self-employed. But yeah, everybody else is an independent contractor. I can hire them for as many hours or as little hours as I want to. I'm just really upfront that I want to make sure that everybody on my team really enjoys their job. So instead of having one or two people that I push so many things onto, I pick what people are good at and I ask them, you know, what if you could pick what your ideal job would be, what would it be? And have several of those people that focus in each of their little niche areas to make sure that they're putting the best effort, the best energy, and they're really enjoying what they're doing. Because that's what's going to help you get the best output for the money that you're putting in. Was there any particular task that you were super relieved to start outsourcing? So probably the easiest one, and this is the cheapest outsourcing task that I did, is I actually went on to Google... And I went on to Google Voice through the whole Gmail platform. And I did an auto attendant. So I took Michael's business number. That was his main number. And we were constantly... Phone was going off all the time. He was on training horses that were trying to hurt him. And he's trying to take a phone call and answer questions about a retreat. And so that was probably the biggest game changer was to take that phone number, make it the number that's posted everywhere. But when you call it, it says the whole... Thank you so much for calling Gascon Horsemanship. For horse training, press one. For retreats, press two. And so what that did is on those auto attendants, you can put whatever the number is that they're going to press. And then as soon as they press that, it can give them a two or three sentence response. So for instance, ours says, thank you so much for contacting Gascon Horsemanship. For horse training, press one. When it goes to horse training, it'll say, thank you for your interest in horse training. Our horse training rates start at, and then list the amount. And this is all inclusive. Tell a couple tips about it or a couple things that have to do with that service. And so that way, if they stay on the line to have a phone call with you, you know that they've already understood how much the process is, what it costs, what it's going to take, what vaccinations they need. And you've answered frequently asked questions that they might have missed on your social media or your website. And then that way, when you're having those conversations, when I know that every time a phone call comes through to my phone, 
that that is my ideal client that I'm talking to. And so it makes it so much more worth your time to have those conversations and really get to know your people and not spend two hours talking to somebody who at the end of the conversation is going to try to talk you down on your value or your time. I love that. That is a great tip. And I can tell you straight up, I didn't know you could do that through Google Voice. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it's like $40 a month and it is by far the best money that I've ever spent. And I love all the people that help me. I love all of our team members, but that has gained me back so much time. And at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, the only thing that you can't build more of is time. So if you can find a way to really focus on working on your business and not having to be in it quite as much, you can really just expand and and keep going forward. Definitely. Well, I'll have to drop the link to that in on Google Voice in the show notes. So if someone is interested in getting set up with that, I'll have that handy Absolutely. right there in the show notes of the podcast episode. So thank you for sharing that. I want to ask, since you have so many different sources of revenue, what do you do when you try something new and it doesn't work out the way you expected? Every day. <laughs> Every day is us coming up with a new idea is coming up with a new, um, especially in the digital world, there's so many opportunities, whether it's the memberships, the courses, we're getting ready to do a coaching week, we've done challenges, there's just so many opportunities. And some things you do really well, and other things you do, and it takes a lot of time and effort and it flops. The biggest thing to remember is every time that you feel like you're failing, you're not failing because you're going to learn from it. And you're going to come back and do something bigger and better. And We have had so many instances of that in our career that if you let that be the deciding factor that keeps you from going forward in your business, it's going to be very hard to be successful as an equine entrepreneur. Oh, for sure. Out of the two of you, would you say that, Kelsey, you are more of the idea person or, Michael, are you more of the idea person? If it comes to computer jibber-jabber, Definitely, Kelsey is the idea bringer. She is a mastermind when it comes to all of the membership stuff, the website stuff, all these different ideas. Uh, it's really where where she's studied a lot. Put, just put in the hours. I mean, just put in the nonstop day after day, week after week, month after month. Uh, so she has a lot of the, the cyber ideas. And if you want to order a 40-foot Chinese dragon that puts four horses underneath it for Briarfest, then that's Michael. Michael is your guy for out of this world ideas to try to make a viral video. <laughs> Wait, you need to you need to elaborate on that because I feel like Please you hooked do. us in now. <laughs> Please do, Michael. <laughs> okay, so there was a time in my career when I was a good horse trainer. By the time that I became a horse trainer, I was already a 40 or 50 time national champion, world champion on Pasofinos because my father's a Hall of Famer and I was just raised with the recipe. So I thought when I went to go pro that I would get a lot of business. Well, that didn't turn out. So I ended up writing anything and everything. So then I got pretty comfortable and proficient at writing problems. And then once I was there and I wanted to become a clinician, I started contacting these expos and I would say, hey, I want to be a clinician. I'm a world-class gated trainer and I will write anything you give to me. And I don't care. You don't have to screen it. I will get whatever horse the other clinicians don't want. I'll do it for free. Uh, I'll show up. I'll do everything for free. You just give me the opportunity. And they would say this kind of like a job interview. Oh, I see you have a degree. How much job experience do you have? And you would say, well, well, mister, I just graduated from college. If you give me this job, I will have job experience. And they say, no, thank you. And then you go to the next job interview and they say, oh, I noticed you just graduated. Awesome. How much job experience? Sir, if you give me this job, I'll have job experience. So I was running into that for a couple of years and it was frustrating me. 
So I was having a having a shower and I was that's where my <laughs> ideas come from. And I thought, huh, if I saw I saw a movie with the Chinese New Year dragon, a Jackie Chan movie, and there was a bunch of people running around in a dragon and they carried the whole dragon. They were all hooked together. And I said, what if I put four horses under a Chinese New Year dragon? And then I came into the arena with the four horses under the dragon where you couldn't see them. You just saw the dragon moving around. And then there was a dragon slayer and the dragon had glowing eyes and flames popping out of his nose. I think this will be a great idea. Again, this was before Kelsey and I were together and I was not very skilled at getting the opportunities. So once I did that, I'm doing a clinic up in Tryon and they're about to have the World Equestrian Games. And I pitched this idea to one of the folks that was putting Tryon together, putting the World Equestrian Games together. And I got my first contract to do a big expo was going to be the World Equestrian Games before I even had the dragon. And I sent the dragon off. I sent the plans off to Hong Kong and I sent my money. And at the time, it was every dollar that I had. It was $10,000. And I remember I couldn't tell my family. I couldn't tell anybody that I spent that kind of money on basically a costume. But I just knew if I had this dragon that every expo in the in the country would have to give me my shot. And then what I would do is tell them, hey, if you want the dragon, you're going to have to let me teach some classes. And that was going to be my ticket to being a clinician. Long story short, China didn't call me. They talked to me every day for a month until I sent the money. And then it was radio silence. Uh, and I didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it was horrible. I talked. I didn't talk to him for like six months. And I would call, no answer. I would email, no response. And then finally, out of the blue one day, I get a call. We have your dragon. It'll be there on Monday. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Okay. So, so it shows up. And me and Kelsey had just start, started dating. And I get this dragon in and the dragon's so expensive that I don't want to practice in it. So I just. It's silk. It's silk. Like it's yeah, like a I, real Chinese yeah. dragon. Yeah. So, so I make a redneck dragon out of blue tarps and make a couple posts and we start practicing with different horses. It's a train wreck. So uh, keep this in mind. The, oh the four horses that are under this dragon, they cannot see. You are on the horse on the saddle, but you're holding this like TP of tarp. But it's stuck in your boots because you have to like, eventually you got to put these into flag holder boots, right? And you're attached to the horse, but the horses have to stay in the sick. perfect distance apart from each other. Everybody has to stay in the same gate. Like, so we went from getting this thing here, not being able to use it to practice because we're going to break it. We start putting together all these ideas and it turns into like farm survivor. We had a hundred horses on the property at a time and we started picking one horse at a time, like who is going to be the lucky four that go underneath this dragon? Cause it just like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is incredible. It's going to be bad. Okay. So, continue. As I was saying, <laughs> so we get it all working together uh, and we, we kind of get it working. Kelsey didn't want to be in the dragon. So she went and broke her leg. So she didn't have to, to perform <laughs> in it. Uh, so I drafted, I drafted my father, my sister, uh, one of my students and uh, a cousin of mine to be in the dragon. It's my wonderful idea. So I'm going to be the dragon slayer and the hero. He's not even under the costume. He's he's away from <laughs> so it. Nobody can, nobody can see. Nobody can go. Then we go to Briarfest and Kelsey's like, oh, Briarfest is probably a month before the World Equestrian Game. So we were supposed to have a month of practice before we, we got this. Kelsey's like, hey, I got you in Briarfest. So, of course, I say, yes, let's do it. 
So to this point, we have never hooked up the whole dragon. For four people to be in it, it takes you about 10 people. It's a 10-person operation just to get everything set up. And we go to Briarfest. It's dark house with a light show. And we take them in there. And the horse goes around. The crowd loves it. I mean, it's just amazing. It's huge. It's kind of unbelievable that horses would do that and be willing to do that. It goes off flawlessly. We had one dress rehearsal, and then we performed it. So that turned out absolutely amazing. And then we were pumped up and ready for try-on for the World of Question Games a month later. And the same thing. I was going to perform there, and I was going to cult start uh, right after Monty Roberts. So the whole plan was really coming together. And then they had that hurricane that became a fiasco, and all the entertainers got laid off. So luckily, we got to perform it one time. That's in the fall. So by the next year, Kelsey and I are dating, and she is impeccable, amazing at booking these these shows because she had been a trick writer, and half of their job is getting booked. The other half is to actually perform. So she started getting me into places. Well, then I didn't need the dragon and the 12 people to work the dragon. So I just started going doing the shows. So the dragon is patiently waiting, patiently waiting in an attic for the day that it can come back to I've life. been paying the mice to eat it. So hopefully there's not much <laughs> left of it. I don't ever want to see that thing again. <laughs> I got to tell you, I had a really hard time not laughing hysterically throughout that entire story. <laughs> It, you should have been there in real life. Oh my God. It was, and none of these horses, the four horses that ended up being the rock stars, none of them had been off the farm. Their first experience ever off the farm, loading in a trailer or going somewhere was under a dragon blindfolded, basically in a dark house spotlights with loud music and a sold out arena. It was just, it, it could not have went any more perfect than it did. And I hope that we never have to get him poor puff Paso dragon could just live in the attic. Well, I hope you at least made some of your money back, Michael, on the $10,000 investment. (laughs) Absolutely. But that just that just goes to show you in all these different things that we've tried to advance. A person can't fail who's not willing to, to quit. If you don't quit, you can't fail. So if you're willing to keep looking at the same thing and reassessing it and readjusting and investing and putting yourself out there, you can't fail. So uh, even if if Kelsey and I hadn't started dating or didn't start dating until a year or two later, the dragon was already opening doors, was already opening doors for us and giving us opportunities. And the only reason that we didn't end up using the dragon because she was so good at booking spots. But that just goes to show wherever you're starting with whatever you have, it's more than enough. You just have to be willing to go out there and reassess it and retry it and reapply yourself. Um, and when things flop or things don't work, you just reassess it and move on to the next thing. So all those opportunities in the long run, they all paid off. That's awesome. Well, I think God was looking down at you, Michael, and was like, he's going to get himself killed in this stupid dragon. And he sent you, Kelsey. (laughs) God protects babies and stupid people. (laughs) So over the course of my career, and especially early on, I haven't made a viral video in a while, but I made uh, a dozen viral videos and we call viral anything that has a million views or over. And there was a lot of near-death experiences trying to do that. But my theory was you got to risk it for the biscuit. It's better to, to get attention and people think you're ridiculous than get no attention at all. So my belief is you have to over-promise, over-sell, and over-deliver, especially equestrians and ranch folks. We're taught to be humble, under-promise, and over-deliver. But if that happens and you never get your chance, then you'll never have the opportunity to show what you're capable of. 
Oh, for sure. And with the way social media works these days, like the crazier the video, the more views you're going to get, hands down. Behind that statement you just said, I have done a lot of sketchy stuff. <laughs> Poor Kelsey. <laughs> hey, I, I was right on the tail end of it because it, it's kind of the same thing. He used those viral videos to kind of get his start, get his foundation. I really can't take any credit for having anything to do with that part of his business because he he had initially, whenever he started doing all these clinics and started booking some things, he went to go be the, were you the spokesperson for the Pasifino Horse Association or did you run the booth at Road to the Horse? So he did that at Road to the Horse and that was in 2015? think so. And and what happened with that experience? What kind of led to your viral video? So the first time that I ever saw Colt start, I didn't even know what Colt starting was. I said, hey, why don't they start fillies and, and geldings and stuff? No, no, no. Colt starting is a competition. Had no idea. Just I wasn't raised in that world. So I went to be a spokesman after a good rookie year with the Passos. And I saw Chris Cox and he won his fifth title. He competed against whoever poor soul was willing to compete against him. Um, and I remember just seeing him ride a horse that had never been ridden in under an hour. It was like mind blowing to me. It was like magic. And then three days later when he won and confetti fell from the ceiling and they handed him a hundred thousand dollar check that was bigger than he was. I just remember my whole world stopped. The two most important days of your life, the day that you're born and the day you figure out why. Well, that day my whole world stopped. And I said, Oh, I'm going to be a world champion cult starter. This is what I was born for. And then from that point, there was a competitor's ball that night. And I must have, you know, went in the wrong door or got lost or something because I definitely wasn't invited. Um, so I got into the competitor's ball. And at the time, Tootie Bland ran Road to the Horse. And I walked up to her and I shook her hand. I said, hi, I'm Michael. And I'm going to be winning Road to the Horse soon. And she looked at me like, like I had two heads. Like, who are you, kid? Well, I'm Michael Gascon. So since you know that I'm going to win it now, how do you get into this? And that's when she said, oh. It's all about the followers and the fans in the stands and followers. I look behind me as nobody's following me. <laughs> She's like, yeah, no, it's, it's a uh, social media. It's how many, how many people would come see you if you, if you came. So that day was the deciding factor. Oh, I need to be on social media and I need to make a viral video. And it took me probably from that moment on the drive home the next day, I made my Facebook page. My mother was my first like and. From that point, I probably failed at making a viral video a hundred times before I made my first viral video, which is Jurassic Paso Park with an inflatable dinosaur. And then from that point, everything changed. I'm going to need to go find that video now. (laughs) I have not seen it. So you're going to have to send it to me. Yeah, they're all over. So on our website, we actually have a spot on there. We have all the viral videos that are listed. So you can see everything that made over a million. And right now we're sitting at a little over 400 million views over all of his viral videos. Oh, that's amazing. The crazy thing is a lot of my videos, most of my videos, I'm in some kind of costume or, or in some kind of inflatable. So you have no idea that it's me. So people will know me or be at a clinic and it'll just kind of come up in conversation. Oh, you're the minion guy or, Oh, you're the dinosaur guy or, Oh, you're the clown. And it'll just blow their mind. I'll say, Oh yeah, I used to do that. Oh, I can't wait to go check out these videos. And I'll have to link that in the show notes too. We're talking about so many good things where I'm going to be dropping these links in the show notes for sure. So guys, I know that it's important not to have all of your eggs in one basket. But why is it important to you to have multiple streams of revenue in your horse business? 
I think the biggest thing is diversity. So you're able to do multiple things. You, you got to remember, as long as you're trading your time for your money, you will never become wealthy and you'll never become comfortable, in my opinion. You want to have multiple streams of income so that you can get paid whenever you're asleep. And whenever you read a lot of the the books on, on wealth and creating revenue for, your, for yourself and your family, everybody you see talks about the fact that you got to be able to get paid in your sleep and you got to get where it's not all just trading your time for your money is the big thing. Scalability. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it sounds like you've done that with your membership site. And what are some other ways that you get, you know, quote unquote, paid in your sleep? Okay. So another thing is, so I really wanted to build a bunch of cabins and a Western hotel and cowboy court, basically a Western town so people can come stay. Well, you build this whole place and now people are coming. This coming year, we're having a dozen retreats, which is definitely going to be, you know, the, the thing that helps our business the most. But when I sleep and we're not doing the retreats, that also doubles as an Airbnb. So literally with, without even me knowing, I'll just see a, a random car pull up, stay in one of the rooms, leave, and you're getting paid off of that. And like you said, it was never my intention to be an Airbnb owner, but it just branched off of the horses. So that's just one more way that, you know, you're getting paid in your sleep. Well, that's a great example. Airbnbs are a big thing right now. So especially I think like ranch type experiences, I'm seeing a lot of those these days. Absolutely. And the other thing to think about too, is not only diversifying your streams of income, but also making sure that you diversify your amounts of what these products cost. So having a little variety, having something all the way from free products, which we talk about in the marketing world as a list builder. You have free products that help get people into your world and kind of see what options you have to where you can help them all the way up to your more expensive products that you offer, your in-person services and the things that take more of your time. So for us, we've really spent a lot of time on developing our horse training, our clinics and our retreats and our academy program, which are some of our higher end items. And now we're really kind of backtracking and we've spent um, the last four years making over 700 videos in our membership. And now we're backtracking and getting some more courses and different things put together that are kind of the lower end of the spectrum, especially with everybody panicking and kind of thinking about recession and economy issues. You want to make sure that you have something where you can help the most people, even though they may not be able to afford some of your higher end products that you have. That's a really important thing that can easily be missed too, is having those different price structures because your audience is going to be at different levels. And it's also possible that you'll have a customer who can afford your higher ticket items, but they're not going to spend that money with you right out of the gate. They need to get warmed up first. So starting at a lower ticket item is sometimes the way that you just bring them up to that top tier. Exactly. And I didn't have any, not say aspiration, but I didn't have any desire to get really good at the whole marketing thing and advertising and figuring out all these things until I really started to jump in it because it was something that we needed. It was a hat that I needed to wear. And I've really kind of fallen for all the things that are out there, just of different ways you can word things that will relate to somebody but not relate to somebody else and really using your voice. And you have to be able to nurture your audience, whether they're on email, social media, and one of the big things that I didn't realize that I wish it would have started earlier is how important it is to have an email list. When Michael spent so much time working on followers, 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 one thing we don't realize is as horse business owners is we don't own those platforms. So at any point, the one day that Facebook glitched out like two years ago, the world panicked because 
all of your people that you're reaching out to, all those people that you're nurturing on a regular basis, if you don't have another way that you can contact them, whether that be email, phone number, if you don't have those sources to keep talking to them, it's really hard to be able to stay in touch with them, relate with them, and really give them that trust on your business where you can nurture them through those those avenues. Oh, 100%. And that's something we talk about a lot in the podcast too, is like, make sure that you have a way to reach your customers off those social platforms, because you never know what's going to happen. Well, Kelsey and Michael, this has been a great talk today. I've actually learned a few things from you myself. So thank you so much for being here and sharing about your multiple streams of revenue in your business and how others can follow in your footsteps. So if anyone wants to connect with you online, where can they do so? They can go to gasconhorsemanship.com and that's going to have links to pretty much every part of our program. And you can actually get on there and see all the different facets of income and services that we offer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for your time today. It was great chatting with you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're a horse business owner or equestrian professional, I'd love to invite you to continue the conversation in our free online community just for you. The Leadline Facebook community is a great space to network, get advice, and even recommend guests you'd like to hear on future episodes of the show. You can become a member by visiting theleadlinepodcast.com slash group. That's theleadlinepodcast.com slash group. And join the conversation today. I'm Mandy, and I'll see you next time. Oh,